Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Invasion of the Podcasters, uh, where each episode, um, I, myself, Graham, I'm going to be looking at what's available on free-to-air, the likes of TV, also what's on uh, the Freeview um, services, and also on the likes of iPlayer, All4, and so forth. Um, along with me, we also have Simon. Hello guys, Simon here. I am your fella who looks at some of the more obscure streaming services. I like to take a deep dive into the movie library every now and again. Uh, and I also have a subscription to Shudder. And also we have, of course, uh, Scott. Scott here. Hi, guys. I'm looking after Netflix and Amazon primarily and also the other streaming services that, that are available through Amazon. And uh, each week we like to start off with a bit of uh, news of something that's come up in the headlines, um, film-related. And uh, this one's... Uh, like a pet choice of uh, Simon's for uh, the <laughs> Borat 2 or how is it being titled from the, today's announcement? Well, today's announcement uh, has it as Borat, subsequent movie film delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for a make a benefit glorious nation of Kazakhstan that is the uh, new title that was released with the trailer but as it was announced last week uh, it was previously I think this one's a little bit better Borat, gift of pornographic monkey to Vice Premier Mikhail Pence for make-benefit recently diminished nation of Kazakhstan. So we're just going to call it Borat 2 then, are we? I'm just going to call it pornographic monkey from now on. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. And uh, the big thing with this, as well as the two titles that it's going to be going by, um, is the fact that it's all been filmed and also getting released uh, during lockdown. Yeah, a bit of a secret movie. I actually originally heard about this a couple of months ago because I saw a video of uh, Sasha Baron Cohen in full costume driving a a car, but then the camera crew was in front of him in a truck and they were all wearing face masks. So it wasn't just like, you know, it was some footage that had resurfaced from like a few months back. It was like right in the middle of the pandemic they were filming in this. And I think they've managed to incorporate it into the plot as well. So in terms of... I don't really like using the term timely, but this is as timely as films are going to get, really. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think I'm, I don't think it's going to be great because I think uh, part of the joke initially was that nobody really knew what Borat was or who Sasha Baron Cohen was outside of Ali G, of course. Um, and when he tried to do Bruno, that kind of like fell flat on its face. It wasn't as good. Mm-hmm. Um, but Borat was always my favourite out of his comedy creation so we'll see i'm just glad it exists <laughs> yeah is it and is it the end of october it's due out 23rd yeah Bloody hell, that's very quick turnaround mm-hmm. yeah new lockdown cinema is always exciting exactly and um scott you also wanted to pick up on another bit of news as well with uh after our ryan reynolds loving episode from the uh a, f- a few episodes ago what was it uh, on ryan reynolds has been in the news about Indeed, um, sort of a tenuous link to cinema, uh, this one, but uh, just in, something of interest in a, in a football-loving nation like the UK. Um, so uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney, uh, one of the co-creators of the sitcom that's always in Philadelphia, uh, it has been reported, going to be investing in Wrexham, who are a fifth-tier football team in, in the English football system. So... Um, no doubt there'll be some fun going to going to North Wales there. So it'll yeah. be it'll be interesting to see if these reports are confirmed and if this uh, takeover does go ahead. I'm sure it'll be very very interesting. 
in any yeah, case. Blake, Blake Lively in the stands. And, uh, bravo on your research for the for getting the other guy because every other news outlet who's been reporting it have just been saying Ryan Reynolds and some other guy. But bravo yeah. on the research there, Scott. Well, I think it's always Sonny's quite a difficult sell for most people as well because it's one of the greatest sitcoms ever, but it's also completely abrasive and like horrifically offensive from like the first thirty seconds of the first episode. So. Uh, <laughs> You've got to have a strong stomach for it, yeah. And uh, and it's also pretty much just what Rob McElhenney's done throughout mm. his career, because that was always his baby. Um, I think he ended up guest starring in Lost for a little bit, and then I think he's ended up doing a little bit of. Um, I, th- I think he's got a sitcom with Apple TV at the minute, right? But still like his wheelhouse is relatively small compared to some of his colleagues like charlie day for example who's gone on to be in like loads and loads of like comedies and action movies and stuff like that um but yeah i'm just glad that rob McElhenney's finally getting some media attention outside of sunny really even if it is you'll have to buy a fifth tier football club to do it Um, but we'll uh, crack on uh, with speed and go move on to our section. So I was going to pick up the first little part of just going through what's coming up on uh, TV and on the schedules for this coming week. Um, coming up as well, it'll be um, in a week's time. Um, we're trying to forecast a bit further ahead than usual. It's a bit uh, uncertain of how quickly we're going to get episodes recorded and turned over at the moment. Um, but uh, BBC Four have announced uh, that they are now starting what's called the Thursday Night Film Club. Now, with BBC Four, um, obviously there's the full links with BBC, so everything that they get shown on the Thursday Night Film Club is going to be accessible via iPlayer as well. And also, as a lovely little touch, is the films that get shown on the Thursday night, which is typically around 8pm each Thursday night, they're going to show these films also on BBC Two in the afternoon. So you've got three opportunities of watching these films, so there's absolutely no excuses. Um, It started off the other week with Casablanca. Then, as we record this episode um, on Thursday, it's uh, North by Northwest, which is on at the moment. And then coming up next week is The Searchers. Um, I haven't seen the full list of what films are going to be included, but by going by the calibre of that, it's going to be certain classics and a sort of MGM, the Hollywood uh, movie machine sort of style. So it'll be uh, interesting to see. And if you haven't picked up on certain classics, it's a great opportunity to get them watched. Uh, other things coming up on the schedules are, um, this is a glaring omission of mine where I haven't seen the uh, Brian De Palma uh, carry before um, so gasps and it sharp and takes shame, a breath shame, everywhere shame, <laughs> shame, shame, shame shame I know I've seen a lot of Brian De Palma and I've seen a lot of Stephen King adaptations but Carrie's just one that's passed me by so uh, that is coming up at 10 past 11 on Friday the 9th of October so I'll definitely be making a point of getting that watched if I don't watch it itself on the night I'll be recording it saving it for Halloween later in the month on what channel did you say sorry what what did I say film four Okay, sorry, I just I just couldn't remember, but that's fine. That's fine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I yeah. thought you were correcting me there. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, no, no, it's no. on uh, Film 4. And also, it's a bit more on Film 4, actually, coming up, is um, uh, Martin McDonough, Triple Bill. Uh, starting this Wednesday, the 7th of October, was uh, in Bruges, which is at 11 o'clock. Then the next night, 9 o'clock, starting with three billboards um, in Ebbing, Missouri, to give it its full title. 
Oh no, it's an outside of Ebbing, Missouri. I can't remember. I just call it three. Uh, billboards. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Outside. Yeah. Not inside. There we go. Um, and then <laughs> after three billboards, uh, which is on at nine o'clock on Thursday, is then Seven Psychopaths immediately after. Now I've seen In Bruges, which I really enjoyed. Excellent script just dialogue to paint the air blue um i've also seen three billboards but i've not yet seen uh, seven psychopaths so i'll be uh, ticking my martin mcdonough box by watching that one Uh, but i know you guys are both fans of his work Mm -hmm. yeah i think diminishing returns were you saying diminishing returns yeah because i think in bruges is a masterpiece and also one of the greatest christmas movies ever made <laughs> it is a christmas movie it is set at christmas you can't deny it. um seven psychopaths i was always a fan of it i never i never completely loved it i i know scott is an absolute avid fan of it probably like the biggest defender of it that i know um yeah yeah i mean it's it's not as good as in bruges cuz you know if if you if you stop with that, you can't really uh, equal a topper. So I think Seven yeah. Psychopaths, the dialogue's very good as well. Um, the humour's very good. I just find his his uh, sense of humour to be very irreverent, really. Um, sort of its own thing. I think yeah. that continues with Seven Psychopaths. It's one of these films where I, I've rated nine out of ten, but I want to give it ten out of ten, but I don't find it's on that quite on that level. So um, I love it. But I, I don't think it's a perfect film as one of your favourites ever, ever, ever. Mm. Yeah. And then Three Billboards is kind of a funny one because that was the one that everybody seemed to fall in love with, particularly the Academy and all that. But I don't know. I, it it just kind of left me cold. It like touched on so many things, but at the end of the day, I don't really think it's added up to much other than racist cops have feelings too. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess, but you don't need to tell me that particularly. (laughs) But then again, so is uh, Dragged Across Concrete. That's also racist cops have feelings too, but (laughs) I just think that's a better film. Well, I'll uh, I'll watch it again and... uh... I'll see what I think of it, but yeah, I enjoyed Thrill, Three Billboards. I think in terms of the performances, if if the script and the story weren't quite as good as earlier efforts, I think the performances uh, make it well worth watching. Yeah, that's true. Um, also on our social media outlets, I posted up about the sad, sad news that uh, the Sony Movies Network have decided to replace the brilliant Sony Classic Channel with the god-awful Sony Christmas Channel. Um, Wall-to-wall jingle bells and sleighs. Now, I love Christmas as much as the next person, but I do like classics, like It's a Wonderful Life, Elf. Uh, I'm stuck for Christmas. Die Hard. Die Hard, yes. In Bruges, thank you. The Proposition, Um, Brazil. Yes, yes, yes. And the list goes on. Um, Charlie Brown Christmas movie, Peanuts, which is the best. Um, Batman Returns? It has snow, it doesn't mean to say it. Well, yeah, actually, go on, it's Christmas. Um, But yeah, the Christmas Channel by Sony, it is just made for TV rubbish. So I'm really disappointed the fact that they removed the classic channel, which had some brilliant films on it and replace that with Sony Christmas when they could have quite easily taken the Sony Action channel off, which is wall-to-wall Steven Seagal and Van Damme films. Um, but just a shout out to Alex on Twitter who mentioned about how much he loves uh, Hard Target uh, with uh, 
Van Damme's spinning roundhouse kicks in slow motion filmed by John Woo. So, you know, yes. That's hard to beat. That that is hard to beat, but when you could have the Sony Classic Channel, I would rather have that over uh, some of the other dross that's on. Um, but to give some love though to Sony though, um, on their standard Sony Movies channel, I've picked up on a couple of things that are coming up in the coming week. Um, one thing that I've never seen before, um, which is uh, Richard Kelly's, uh, who directed of course Donnie Darko, uh, is The Box. Um, so. Richard Kelly, very divisive uh, filmmaker um, in terms of either you loved Donnie Darko or you didn't get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's also done uh, The Box, which you described, Simon, as very um, M. Night Shyamalan in that kind of way where it's a bit of a twist or something going on, a big reveal. Yeah, like a big, big stupid reveal as well. <laughs> uh, I I liked it, actually, because I think I think it's one of those cases where, like Shyamalan, I think Richard Kelly is a better director than he is a writer, and I just wish he would be able to direct somebody else's script. But like Shyamalan, he doesn't. Mm. Um, so it's it's just a case of, you know, there being like a really terrible script in, in the middle of somebody's film. Who knows what they're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually quite like the box, though. In fairness, it's it's got like a really creepy supporting performance from uh, Frank Langella yep. in it, mm-hmm. so that's worth watching just for him. Um, and I will also bang the drum since Richard Kelly's come up here for Southland Tales. <laughs> has, has anybody seen that one? I have not. No, I've got a friend who. Uh... He's a big fan of Donnie Darko and also mm-hmm. Sister Darko and just every Donnie Darko little spin-off and cash-in. And he also rates Southland Tales, saying it oh, is a well. misunderstood masterpiece. So um, I've I stopped with Donnie Darko, so I've, there is a bit more, uh, well, a lot more Richard Kelly for me to get into, I've got to admit. You should absolutely watch Southland Tales. It's just like this massive swing at, you know, just criticising everything in America. Um, but it's 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 just wall to wall bonkers. Like you wouldn't predict that the rock in Southland Tales would be the rock that we have nowadays. You know, the highest paid star in Hollywood, when he's like giving big monologues about how pimps don't commit suicide and stuff. It's uh, it's it's, it's quite a sight, really. Yeah, but that same rock did do also do pain and gain. So again, one of his weirder choices, but mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily an ill advised one. <laughs> Um, another film as well on the Sony movies is well the box sorry is on showing on Wednesday the 7th of October um, but then also we've got on Saturday the 10th of October a great family favourite is uh, Real Steel with Hugh Jackman um, basically if you like the sight of giant robotic um, machines knocking seven bells out of each other then this is a film for you but it has uh, heart a great storyline of a um, a sort of absent father who uh, rekindles with his son through this sort of near future world where the sport is um, mechanics and sort of uh, fighters sort of make their own robots which they control by remote um, and they box and fight in a ring as opposed to us getting hurt Um, but brilliant film I highly recommend it so that's coming up on the Sony Movies channel Saturday the 10th of uh, October um, but that's it for me for my recommendations. But as I say, the main things were on the BBC Four um, Thursday Night Film Club is that those are available on iPlayer. So make sure that you do get those watched if you're not watching them live when they're on TV. But I'll hand over now to uh, Simon, and you're going to pick up on uh, your areas. 
Yeah, I'm also going to diverge a little bit immediately. Um, <laughs> because, I, I don't know, I just I just wanted to talk about something that's not a movie on here, but nonetheless, it's something movie-related. Um, so I'm going to christen a new feature here where we don't necessarily look at a film itself, but it's more along the lines of something connected to a film, whether that be a soundtrack or a book adaptation or, you know, just something else of interest that connects to the world of cinema while not actually being cinema. Uh, I was trying to come up with a name for it today um, and I was struggling, but because I've had Dune on the brain for the last couple of weeks, I'm going to call it The Miscellaneous Melange. <laughs> Say it again louder, because I could barely wait make out that whisper. The Miscellaneous Melange. The Miscellaneous Melange, Thank as in you. the Spice Melange. Mm-hmm. I must have it. <laughs> the Spice. The Spice. You haven't seen Dune yet, have you? No, I still haven't seen it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Basically, most of the dialogue in uh, Lynch's Dune is sort of like just close-ups of people's eyes, and then it's like them narrating about like, he knows. What does he know? So much conspiracy. So many lies. <laughs> oh, dear me. <laughs> okay, that's, that's another worst friend. I'm getting, uh, I'm getting freaked out here. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. Just a little bit of, uh, you know, Dune ESMR for you there. Yes, so basically that's a working title, and I don't expect any of you to hold me to it because it's it's dumb. Um, I wanted to start this because I've just begun a journey into the wider work of one of the most interesting filmmakers working today, who we have talked about on today's podcast already, actually, uh, and that's S. Craig Zahler, uh, a man who has rather controversially made a stamp on genre cinema with his confrontational politics and uh, horrifying violence in films like Bone Tomahawk, Brawl and Cell Block 99, and of course, the racist Cops Have Feelings 2 movie, Dragged Across Concrete. Uh, before he started directing, however, he was more famous for his writing, uh, having penned over 25 sold screenplays uh, and a number of novels, uh, alongside heading up an epic metal band called Realm Builder, uh, whose albums I have on my phone and I'm going to listen to soon. Um, what I'm going to talk about today, however, is his 2018 novel, it's called Hug Chicken Penny, the panegyric of an anomalous child, or as I imagine it would be read aloud in the actual novel, Hug Chicken Penny, the panegyric of an anomalous child. Second um, impression so far? Or is that the yeah, third impression? Yeah. Uh, I've lost count. Um, <laughs> and hold on, and we are, we are branching out into books here as well. Can I just state and we underline this with exclamation marks? Well, I am about to bring it back into films. I'll allow it. So if you if if you hold on a moment, <laughs> I will I will uh, salvage this. I promise. Um, it's about the trials and tribulations of the eponymous and anomalous boy known as Hug Chicken Penny, born in horrific circumstances with a number of physical impairments that most are either repulsed by or terrified by. Uh, the journey Hug takes is almost Dickensian. Uh, and it's moral lesson learning and epic scope, but what I pitch it as, more than anything else, it's kind of more like Annie meets Basket Case. Uh, the sentimentality of the former is is definitely in there, but also the madcap derangement of the latter adds a lot of you know harshness to the emotional brutality that Zala just keeps piling on poor old Hug uh, in his unfortunate life. Uh, it's also been announced that Zala has a film adaptation of this in the works, so there you go, I've saved it, Graham. Uh, alongside his regular collaborators, Vince Vaughn and uh, Fred Malamed on board, and uh, believe it or not, the Jim Henson Company, 
are actually on production duties uh, with the idea that they're going to make some animatronic puppet versions of uh, Baby Hug for when he's an anomalous baby. Um, so therefore, I think this might qualify as Zola's first family film. Um, maybe. maybe I, not. I wouldn't hold your breath, though. <laughs> yeah. I, Probably not. <laughs> reading the novel, there's some awful, awful stuff happens in here. Um, the text has changed. So, Massacre family were a family, so. There you go. I, that, that, that definitely qualifies as well. Um, I, I do think that it won't be as tough a pill to swallow as, you know, as other films, but I nonetheless suspect it'll be very uh, pitiless and uh, still manage to annoy some people of a certain political leaning uh, in the process. There's some very thorny treatment of disabled people and children uh, along the way, as you can imagine. Uh, and there's also a couple of racism references that don't really seem to be in there for any other reason other than to just show, you know, America bad, that sort of thing. Uh, overall, though, it did grab me. Uh, I actually finished it in about four days, which is probably the fastest I've read a book in like a good half decade. Uh, and it definitely shows a different sight to Zala, one that's more concerned with uh, sympathy and real emotions. Uh, there's even a bit of magical realism underneath all this sadness. Uh, so I wouldn't say that Zala's getting soft, but this is definitely the cuddliest I've seen from him. So that was very unsettling. Back to my regular sections, though. Uh, I do say that I'm going to talk about Shudder and Mubi. Uh, I'll talk about Shudder first because I spotted something on there called Spiral. Uh, which is not the latest Saw film starring Chris Rock, even though they do share the same name. Um, but instead, it looks to be a film that's indebted to Get Out. It's about a same-sex, mixed-race couple who move to a small town and discover a possible sinister conspiracy uh, with their over-friendly neighbours. I'll be giving this a watch soon, uh, since anything that vaguely reminds me of Get Out is, is going to pique my interest. Um, Scare Me, as well, was also just added to Shudder today. Uh, and it's a horror comedy uh, about two strangers telling scary stories during a power cut. And of course, horror movies being horror movies, things get real quicker than expected. Uh, I'm recommending this for two reasons. One, because I saw that Aya Cash is the lead in it. Uh, and she's doing some really exceptional work in the second season of The Boys on Amazon Prime. Um, and two, uh, it's because <laughs> I worked on a British film that sounds a lot like this. Uh, I was a production assistant on a film called Tales from the Lodge, which was released at the end of last year, uh, and it's about a bunch of old university friends getting together to scatter one of their party's ashes uh, after they kill themselves, uh, and then they all end up sort of telling some scary stories in the process. It's got um, Mackenzie Crook in it, Laura Fraser from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, uh, Johnny Vegas uh, is in there as well. Uh, I can't recommend Scare Me yet because I haven't seen it, but I would recommend checking out Tales from the Lodge, which isn't streaming anywhere for free, but you can rent it on all of your good uh, general streaming platforms. Blatant plug there. Blatant plug. Well, I don't know. I just want to support a film that I don't feel gets enough love, really. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, but I'll keep an eye open. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, on Mubi as well, um, we have End of Summer, which is a short film. The uh, movie are releasing quite a few short films at the minute, but this one is by the late and great, I'm going to say, uh, composer Johan Johansson. He actually branched out to, well towards the end of his life uh, making films. So first of all, he made a short film called End of Summer, which is a super eight uh, film filmed in Antarctica. And it's basically just a penguin documentary in the same way that sort of Encounters at the End of the World is... Um, but it's much more sort of scrappy and it's almost like um, 
watching a silent film like Metropolis or something and watching all of these penguins move and big uh, crowds and all that. It's kind kind of mesmerizing. I didn't find it particularly enlightening or anything, but it was like a nice vibes movie. Um, we also have on BFI Player, so I know you have a subscription to this, Scott. I'm going to be checking this out soon because uh, I'm going to get a trial for that at the very least. Um, we actually have his uh, only feature film, which is called Last and First Men, which is basically uh, a film in which Tilda Swinton narrates uh, in the very far future of monuments that people have left after uh, some great catastrophic world-ending thing has happened. Um, it's filmed all around sort of the old Soviet monuments that uh, populate uh, Russia as well. So at the very least, it looks absolutely stunning. It's probably going to sound stunning as well because Johan Johansson did the score as well. Um, so I'd, I'd recommend that as well. Uh, one thing that we did ask for from you, our listeners, this week was some suggestions for us to watch, whether this be on Netflix or Amazon Prime or BFI Player or Shudder or Movie, anything like that. And uh, you came out with quite a few suggestions. Uh, we've managed to get through three of them. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right, fellas? So yeah. not a bad, not a bad roster so far. Which one would you like to start with? Because um, we're just going to do a general discussion here, I think. I believe we've all seen I see you, haven't we? So yeah, yeah. Uh, probably best one to start with. Do you want to introduce that one, Scott? Because it's it's a very difficult film to describe what it's about without. Giving the game away, you know what I mean? Mm, um, hmm. Dude, <laughs> keep your cards to your would, chest. Would you like to attempt to explain it, Simon? Because I'm, I'm struggling. All right, there. all right. Right, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a comparison to begin with, and this is what I thought it was. Um, it was a little bit like Hereditary meets Funny Games. But then I discovered it was more hereditary and then funny games rather than like mixing the two up consistently as as as, as they give, go through. Basically, it focuses in on the suburban family who have some sort of tension in between them. So you've got the uh, dad who's a cop. The mom um, is what does she do? I think I, she's a psychiatrist I, I or some sort of doctor oh, yeah, or yeah. something. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. She's like a therapist of some sort, and she's done something clearly very terrible in her past we don't really find out what it is until somewhat later in the film uh, and then we also have the teenage son who is your typical moody teenager uh, playing games on his laptop but also giving his mom quite a lot of jip for whatever she's done um, and then the film begins to take a turn once uh, some local children begin to go missing uh, there's a case that it resembles basically of, uh, of a paedophile who uh, killed young boys uh, however many years previously but of course the killer is in jail and uh, it's a question of what's actually going on is this all supernatural uh, or sort of like traumas of the past beginning to show themselves again and then I can't really go on any more than that yeah. would you say I've summed that up alright yeah, yeah that's, well, cause... I could, couldn't have done it better myself <laughs> cool alright yeah I mean um... what do you think I find that it's it's a f- film, as we've alluded to, that is in two parts almost. Yeah. Um, and I think in the second half arrives, I'm thinking, all right, this could get interesting. So I was thinking at that point, and I'd say it, it didn't really. Uh, those are my, my thoughts on it from then on. I don't think it really... Um, I think I had an opportunity to 
improve significantly rather um, mm-hmm. but it didn't that's, that's kind of how I felt about it so I thought, thought it was oh, it's, it's interesting uh, I wouldn't say it's a bad film I wouldn't say it's a particularly good film uh, just somewhere in the middle I think I think it's quite an ambitious way of telling a story because of the nature of the film without spoiling too much you've got to watch things twice and I didn't really find that that was very helpful with something like Tenet Uh, and I didn't think that this one pulled it off even as well as Tenet did (laughs) and you've got to remember I didn't like Tenet yeah I I feel almost that at points it was trying just trying to tick through what's happening it felt almost like there was an audio commentary on it someone just yeah. telling you oh this is what's happening look at this uh yeah. it, there's there's no sort of ambiguity to it uh, it was mm-hmm. just really hand holding your hand and, t- and showing you what's going on I, I felt like yeah me too i've got to say what do you think Graham? yeah i thought you could tell it was setting itself up where there was going to be some sort of reveal because it just left you with so many questions that you were mm-hmm. like, oh, well, I'm interested to find out what happens. But then when the reveals start to come along, you've lost really any care for the characters because the characters, I don't think, are very well written. They're quite two-dimensional. Um, the introduction of some characters who come along later, I just I was infuriated. I was just banging my head against the wall to them. <laughs> um, just very two-dimensional. Um, so yeah. I just lost all goodwill for the film by the fact that I was interested to find out where it was going. When the reveals came along, I'd lost all interest by then. So if yeah, I've got to say I didn't I didn't find the ending satisfactory either, which is just like no. the the final coming together of it all. I was like, oh, just, so what? Uh, yeah, just uh, it's just like <laughs> what? But at the same time, it's just like you sit there, and you start off. It's like a lot of these TV box sets and things nowadays where you'll watch the first few episodes where you get hooked and then is the payoff towards the end worthwhile? Mm-hmm. No, most of the time. But still, it's like the early part that gets you hooked. So it it does what it kind of sets out to do. Get, it piques your interest, but I just don't think it really delivers by the end. Yeah. I should say that the uh, person who suggested this, Jack, thank you very much for the suggestion, Jack, and I'm really sorry that we all kind of thought it was a bit... but keep the suggestions coming Mm -hmm. that's the thing isn't it because like we always say on this podcast even if we do disagree then that's all right we do love a good debate and we have had uh, another one as well haven't we we have as well max or wizard master on uh twitter suggested uh, a 1982 shaw brothers martial arts movie on netflix which is called five element ninjas Mm-hmm. What did you think, Graham? I, I enjoyed it. Um, I know that we were talking a little bit before where I was just a little bit down on it because I really do love my Kung Fu films. And I've seen quite a lot of the Shaw Brothers productions. Um, and this was like 82. And I was looking at it going, my God, the wigs are so wiggy. The sets are so bad. But yeah. the choreography, I thought, was all right. I all right. Mm. It was amazing. I, no, I've, I've seen better choreography. However, the one thing I do right. agree with you on this is the fact that there are so many action sequences and so yeah. many fight sequences. Like like the ratio of yeah. like actual screen time to action scene is ridiculous. Exactly. It's, 
I thought some of the fight scenes were very well put together. I think some of them became a little bit too punch, punch, kick, punch, punch. and it was a bit ping, ping, went ping, on ping, a bit. Ping, ping, ping. But the fact that the whole, the, I think it was basically a plot constructed around a fight choreography. Um, That's exactly what it is. And it went A to B to C to D with a very short gap of just fight sequences in between. So, yeah, yeah, impressed by it. Um, I'll certainly, there's a whole list of other Shaw Brothers and Kung Fu movies on Netflix. So that's kind of piqued my interest to get through a lot more of them. Definitely. I'm going to do the same as well. I remember Scott was talking about the 36 Chamber of Shaolin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is that a Shaw Brothers one as well? Don't know. Um, I can't remember. Might be. Head. I don't think it is. I'm not okay. sure. Well, that's okay then. But you know that sort of martial arts film. Yeah. Ten a penny on Netflix. <laughs> but yeah. actually, you know what? We didn't even explain what Five Elements and Ninjas is actually about, though, did we? Because story is completely secondary. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like we need to describe what the Five Elements Ninjas are. Mm-hmm. So they're basically like a, a a Japanese martial arts school who. Um, sort of encroach on this uh, Chinese martial arts school and uh, sort of pick them off one by one. And these five elements are not exactly elements. <laughs> That's, I mean, of course, you've got water, you've got fire, and you've got earth. So there's three of them. No wind. You basically replace wind with um, wood. <laughs> and then instead of Lilu Dallas... As we know, she is the fifth element <laughs> from the fifth element. Multipass. Um, <laughs> multipass. Uh, it's gold instead. And these gold guys are literally, you know, dressed in gold and all that sort of thing. And they've got their swords and all that. But also they've got copper hats. <laughs> no, Why is not, it copper? Not copper, they're gold. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. But, it, but, but you know, when everything sort of comes up on the screen, like in the subtitles, it's like, this is the new weapon. It's like leaf hat arrows, spear, you know. And then they have copper hats, which they basically use to spin round and then dazzle people, and everyone's like, ah, I can't see, I can't see, and then they, like, just kill them all. It's uh, probably the best film I've seen this month, actually. I I liked it even more than uh, I'm thinking of ending things. (laughs) It's best from this month. It's the 1st of October. (laughs) Oh, sorry, last month, last month. Yeah, should be the 31st of September, but you know what I mean. (laughs) But yeah, I I thought it was an absolute blast. Scott, you really have to get on this because like it's so far up your street. So yeah, far up your I'll street. Yeah, I'm sure to. You know, I saw Five Deadly Venoms, which, which sounds like a similar concept. So I think um, it's the same director as yeah, well. It so. is. It is. So I yeah. I'll, I'll certainly be checking this one out, and nice. I'll let you know uh, what I think. I'll I'll do the same with the uh, Five Deadly Venoms as well, and then we'll compare notes. Uh, one thing that I just watched myself, though, because I thought, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna save the other guys from this torture. Uh, we actually had another suggestion via Facebook from Laura, uh, which was Hangman. Uh, Laura, who, who's a colleague of mine, uh, recommended this on on the basis that it's the worst film ever. Uh, so this fits my bill for being a dead dove. Now, uh, A Dead Dove, uh, I mentioned this a while back in episode two, I think, of uh, our podcast. Uh, the Dead Dove is essentially a, a terrible film that I know is going to be terrible, uh, but I take a look and prove myself completely right in the process. 
This was actually the first Dead Dove I'd had in a very long time, so this one was actually surprisingly refreshing. So thank you for this one, Laura. Uh, it is a rare treat as well. It's a member of one of the most coveted bad movie subgenres, in that it's a straight-to-VOD, late-period, Al Pacino crime thriller. That's a box which he doesn't. I mean, you know exactly what I mean, though, right? He doesn't only sport his signature fake tan. He doesn't only show off his sleazy goatee and powerful pompadour hairstyle. But he also reprises his Academy Award-winning Southern accent from Scent of a Woman. And if you're only familiar with that awful accent through (laughs) clips of Scent of a Woman like I am, then that is a very exciting prospect indeed. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, this is an absolutely terrible uh, pizza and beer movie, if I ever saw one. It's basically a seven rip-off where the seven deadly sins are swapped out for hanged corpses with letters cut into them uh, in a very protracted and sadistic game of, you guessed it, Hangman. Um, <laughs> it is it is absolutely shocking as a story, I've got to say. Uh, every plot beat creaks and groans. Uh, into the next one, and it just throws every cliche in the in the propaganda book into the mix along the way. Uh, but you know, actually, at the same time, I was never really bored. Uh, I don't know if this is just because it kept such a fast pace that it doesn't really allow you to get bored. But I also think that it might just be the the cynically effortless performance from uh, Pacino that gave me a lot to laugh at, but I was honestly quite entertained. Pacino just goes for this full-on bizarre lethargy for some reason. Uh, the first handful of scenes he's in, he's just sat in his car in the comfortable leather seats just doing crosswords. Um, and as the drama goes on and he's got to run around a little bit more, you he just begins to sort of stretch out his lines to the point where he sounds like actually stoned. Uh, <laughs> th- th- there's an amazing moment where he and his team, uh, Carl Urban is also in his team, also struggling with an accent, bless him, um, that they sort of walk into this you know spooky mansion, where's the killer, where's the killer? They hear a strange noise in the distance and the following line of dialogue just slithers out of Pacino's mouth. He goes, Well... Is that sound coming from? <laughs> I am not making this up, all right? You know, at certain points, he actually begins to sound like Robert Downey Jr. in uh, in, in Tropic Thunder for some reason, <laughs> uh, which is certainly a performance with a lot of, you know, choices mm. uh, in it. So that just added to the to the surrealness of it. Um, one final note before I wrap up Hangman, though. Um, I'd like to say that there's a moment in the film where Pacino appears in a flashback. Uh, and honestly, the de-aging that was done on him in this tiny, tiny little scene is actually better than what they did to him in The Irishman. <laughs> is it worth sitting through the film for that alone? Probably not, no. But, <laughs> but uh, well picked up on, though. It shows that you were it, paying attention. At its very best, it reminded me of Angels and Demons. Mm. You remember that one? with uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, The second Dan Brown adaptation. Uh, yeah. Completely dumb, but like, I don't know. It's very similar. So yeah, uh, thanks for the suggestions, guys. Um, do keep them coming. I know we've got a backlog already because we had so many. Uh, we're going to try and get through them. That includes Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Which I know I should watch one day. Um, but yes, keep them coming, guys. We really appreciate it. Cheers. And uh, it's over now to uh, you, Scott, where you've got a bit of a edited, well, a regular feature within your segment. 
Yeah, so um, I'm going to talk about uh, a TV series as part of our box set binge feature in a moment. But I just want to bring your attention to um, something on BFI Player. Um, to reiterate, if you get Amazon, you'll then have to pay an additional subscription fee for BFI Player if you choose to do it the way I did it there. Uh, but it's the 1946 adaptation of of the classic story of, of Western literature, uh, The Beauty of the Beast. So this is a 1946 version by French director Jean Cocteau. Or to call it La Belle et la Bête uh, in la its native French name. Um, also stars uh, Jean Murray, who was the, uh, the muse of Jean Cocteau as a director. They regularly work together. And this is considered their most accomplished work. I'm sure most of us are aware of the Beauty and the Beast tale, primarily from the Disney animated version. Um, it's Taylor's oldest time. Yeah, which are, I think, I think <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> and uh, we're all aware of it in that way, but uh, I, th- I think this version, Jean Cocteau version, is uh, is enchanting in the same way. There's just something about it, I think, just visually, um, it just looks enchanting, it sounds enchanting, I think the music's fantastic in it, um, and it's just a really arrest and watch. I think you can't really take your eyes away from it. Um, so it's a great film. It's uh, I think anyone is going to enjoy it. I'd thoroughly recommend it to, to you, your fellas. For all ages oh, as well? Absolutely. Um, obviously with most enduring stories, uh, it is something that appeals to, to every facet of society, with the young, the old, uh, the in-between. And it's, um, yeah, I think it's aged... It's incredibly well. It's a story that's obviously held up for hundreds of years, and um, I think this is a fantastic adaptation of it. So I thoroughly recommend that. Just to mention that as something I would, I would put forward as a good suggestion for you, you guys. I have meant to get on it for years and years and years, and I've watched um, John Cocteau's uh, Orpheus trilogy. Mm-hmm. Really recommended, especially uh, Orpheus, which is the middle one, also with uh, Jean Marais. Mm-hmm. Is it, is that his name here? Yeah. Uh, so. yeah, just like really practical, like in camera magic. Uh, he's just great at that, you know, like mm-hmm. a real visual artist. So, yeah, check it out. Anyhow, um, as I mentioned, I'm going to be continuing our box set binge feature. I'm going to reclaim it from a uh, from Simon's departure into film related box sets. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, like which was <laughs> some debate over whether that was um, that was in fitting with the feature, but. Uh, I'll see you in court, mate. I'll see you in court. Yeah, so my previous inclusion was The Wire, and a similarly fantastic drama series is AMC's Mad Men. Um, That really put that channel on the map, I think. Of course, Breaking Bad followed. Um, So two phenomenal series for AMC there. But Mad Men was created by Matthew Weiner, who, who was a writer on Sopranos, of course, considered one of the best drama series of all time, um, if not the. So the focus of Mad Men is on an advertising agency by the name of Stone Cooper and Partners and its mercurial creator-director Don Draper, played by John Hamm. The series takes place between 1960 and 1970 and charts the relatively small agency's attempts to compete with larger rivals, specifically the advertising behemoth McCann Erickson, who repeatedly tried to swallow up SA&P. This format of a period drama was later attempted with uh, Halt and Catchfire, which I believe was in the 80s, um, at the beginning of the sort of the 
the technological boom, isn't it? Um, yeah. age, uh, which mm-hmm. wasn't as successful, I don't believe. Um, anyhow, with Mad Men, uh, the 1960s was, was obviously a uniquely transformative decade, and the series conveys the shift from social conservatism of the 1950s um, towards the liberal hippie movement of the late 60s. We also see how the ensemble cast react to the defining moments of the decade, including the Kennedy assassination of 1963 and the moon landings of 1969. John Hamm is exceptional in his portrayal of the flawed, enigmatic Don Draper, whose demons are incessantly haunting him and threatening his seemingly idyllic existence. Also key to the show is Elizabeth Moss's excellent performance as the newly hired secretary, Peggy Olsen, who must battle the overt sexism of the era to become a valued creative member of the agency. This performance by her was sufficient for her to be cast in The Handmaid's Tale, another excellent performance from her, another one to check out. That is a very hard watch, She's though. great in everything. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, Invisible Man's just, like, the best performance of the year for me, anyway, I think. Amazing. Mad Men is one of TV's greatest dramas, um, in my opinion, and uh, it takes the viewer on a roller coaster of emotions um, with some wonderful payoffs. So, um, every emotion you think of, it's in there. It's often comedic, um, and yeah, just some of the things that happen, particularly in the end, and I think they're very um, satisfying. So, yeah, check it out, folks. In terms of finale, is it on? Oh, go on, Simon. Sorry, no, I was just going to say, is that on Netflix or anything? I'm not, I can't remember if it's on at the moment because it seems to go on then go yeah, off. Yeah, it, so it, it again. So it's, yeah, if it, you can, but it was on yeah. Netflix. I don't think it is at the minute. It isn't, unfortunately. Ooh. Sorry, Graham, what were you saying? I was uh, just going to say, Scott, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, me committing to a box set, I always like to know, is the finale a good payoff? Is it worthwhile sitting through it for uh, a good reward at the end? I think it's some people find it divisive, but I think it's it's a fantastic ending. Mm. Um, quite ambiguous in some ways, but I think that's no bad thing. Uh, I think I understand. I might understand the, what the ending means, but I think it's. I think yeah, the ending's fantastic. Okay, cool. But um, in terms of uh, for this episode, we just want to round off by saying that. As we're now into October, we are going to be looking to do a Halloween and therefore a horror episode um, for the end of the month. So in time ready for you guys to listen to with some of both our recommendations of films out there. And also we'd like to call upon you guys to give us some recommendations of things that you um, are passionate about. Some of your favourite horror films. uh, Things potentially that are in the streams of what we watch. Um, Shudder, uh, Netflix, Amazon, either coming up on TV if you're aware of it. And also, even Movie keep... have a couple of horrors in there as well, so even movie, do you let me know uh, if there's anything good. Um, but also, still come to us with your suggestions of just other films as well that you'd like us to watch. Um, something that we can see either through Amazon, Netflix, ideally, um, so that we can all get to it and we'll give our opinions and uh, let you know what we think. Um, but that's it for us for this uh, episode. Uh, we hope to get another episode out to you guys um, before we then do a Halloween one. Um, but uh, keep in touch and keep an eye out on our socials for things that we haven't been able to cover in this episode. But uh, for now, from Graham, thank you very much. From Simon, thank you very much. From Scott, thank you very much. Unified. <laughs> All three. <laughs> Kapow. Drippies. Thanks, guys. See you later.